millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I was camping in the Los Padres National Forest. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Forest with my older brother at a spot we frequented. Before we went to bed, we heard this screaming off in the hillsides. It sounded like a woman crying, but screaming at the same time. We ignored it since it seemed far away and decided to go to bed. We're woken up in the middle of the night by something massive circling the tent and the same screaming. We kept still for over 30 minutes trying not to move at all. My brother and I were mind blown by the size of the visitor. It would touch the tent every one in a while, but at the very top without getting off its four feet. Eventually it left the camp. 
The next morning, there were plenty of prints revealing a massive mountain lion. I'm used to seeing mountain lion tracks where I, I grew up, but these made anything I've seen before look small. The sweltering South American jungle loomed before me as our helicopter touched down, the humid air sticking to my skin like a second layer. I was part of an elite Navy SEAL team, and our mission was to rescue a group of kidnapped scientists taken by a rogue paramilitary organization. As we made our way deeper into the jungle, we quickly discovered that the dangers went beyond armed combatants. The jungle was infested with monstrous creatures, known only in local legends as Nightfall. These creatures were the stuff of nightmares, with piercing red eyes and razor-sharp claws that tore through the darkness with ease. Navigating the treacherous terrain, we fought valiantly against both the creatures and the paramilitary forces, each step bringing us closer to the captured scientists. Along the way, we uncovered a sinister plot. The rogue organization planned to weaponize the cryptids for global domination. Time was of the essence. We had to foil their plan before the world was plunged into chaos. As we neared the heart of the enemy's base, it became apparent that we were outmatched. The nightfall creatures were relentless, and the paramilitary forces were better prepared than we had anticipated. One by one, my brothers in arms fell, and the hope of completing our mission began to fade. In a final desperate assault, we managed to free the scientists and sabotage the rogue organization's plans. But the price we paid was steep. My entire unit was wiped out, leaving me as the sole survivor. I carried the weight of my fallen comrades as I returned home, ready to share the truth about the horrors we had faced. But the government had other plans. They covered up our mission, erasing any evidence of the nightfall creatures and the rogue organization's plot. Our sacrifices were swept under the rug, deemed too dangerous for the public to know. And so, I'm left with the memories of my fallen brothers and the knowledge of a threat that still lurks in the shadows. The world may never know the true story of our mission, but I will never forget the bravery of my team as we faced the unimaginable. In the end, we may have stopped a global catastrophe, but the cost of our victory will haunt me for the rest of my days. Back in high school, I would go on hikes with a small group of friends pretty often. One of my friends worked at a donut shop, so he would usually bring a dozen of donuts for everyone to eat before the hike. One day, we all show up to hike around 8 a.m., and it's business as usual. We all park at the usual spot. My friend shows up with the donuts. We eat the donuts, and we're on our way. That day, only like five or six people showed up to hike, so there were leftover donuts, about four or five leftover donuts. Where we parked was distant from any road and pretty secluded, so we didn't think much of just leaving the box of leftover donuts on the hood of my friend's car while we hiked. The hike back down was solely fueled by the thought of having another donut, so we were excited. When we finally got back to the cars and opened the box of donuts, we saw that each donut had one single bite taken out of them. 
like if someone just came by and decided to try every donut and put them back. The trail was empty that day, so another hiker eating our donuts was unlikely, and it could have been an animal, but the bite seemed to be a human's bite, and the donuts were neatly put back. We figured it might have been a bum or a homeless person, but even that seemed far-fetched to us. Whoever or, or whatever ate our donuts that day is either extremely indecisive or extremely considerate. So I've never had a paranormal experience in my life. My boyfriend seems to have enough for the both of us. One of the ones that stuck with me the most was when we went camping last year at Ovens National Park. We had just arrived back from spending the summer in western Canada and hadn't seen each other in four months. So we decided to spend some time together and go camping with another couple that were close friends of ours. We booked the cheapest cabin at the campground for two nights and headed out. The first day we spent there was pretty uneventful. To give some context, the park is famous for its sea caves that are carved into the rocky cliffs of the Nova Scotia shore. The first day we hiked the trail that overlooked the caves, or the ovens as they were called, and we were able to go down into some of them. That night we had a campfire, but turned in early because we're nerds. So we sat inside the small cabin and started playing cards. My boyfriend was being a sore loser and seemed to be acting kind of strange nonetheless. He abruptly said he was going for a walk and left the cabin. I was pretty annoyed and just let him go for a while and didn't chase him. After about half an hour, I started to get a bit anxious and called his cell. This is where things started to get really weird. He didn't answer at first, but he called me back right away. When I answered, he seemed to have calmed down a bit, and I asked him where he was. He said he was sitting on a bench on the trail, then he asked where I was. This confused me a bit because I hadn't left the cabin since he left, and I wasn't likely to since I'm terrified of the dark. I told him this, and this suddenly freaked him out, and he said he was coming back to the cabin. It was weird because he's generally pretty level-headed and hard to actually scare. So after about two minutes, I hear running footsteps coming to the cabin, and my boyfriend comes tearing into the cabin. Then this is what he told me. He had walked out to the trails to get some fresh air and sat down on one of the benches to look out at the ocean. The moon was pretty bright that night, so everything was illuminated pretty well. Then he said he heard someone walking by, and he saw this really tall and pale figure stop and look at him, and then continue on. For some reason, he assumed this was me coming to look for him, and that's when I called him and told him I was in the cabin. He said that, in retrospect, it was inhumanly tall and pale, thanks, babe, and couldn't possibly be a person. He was not himself for the rest of the night and didn't seem normal until lunch the next day. Anyways, sorry for the long story. I made an account just to make this post. Does anyone have any ideas about what this might have been? Don't say Slenderman. I'm imagining something like the Fresno Nightcrawlers.
Hacking in Japan went up to a trio of mountains to see the three correlating shrines, each a bit more remote and trail more treacherous than the last. They weren't that dangerous, but the final trail had a sheer drop you edged past by holding a chain nailed into the cliff. Came down the last mountain on what I would now consider to be the wrong side. I was coming down an old service road, and there was clear evidence of landslides. Wasn't too worried about it that particular day because it had been dry for weeks. Anyway, get roughly to the base of this mountain and can only describe what I walked through as a shanty town. But the boxes and sheet metal the houses were built from were basically more spread apart. I guess it was more of a camp than a town. Anyway, the service road was dotted with these constructions for about 100 meters or so. No one was outside, but you know how you can sort of sense eyes on you. Yeah, I did actually spot a couple pairs of eyes peering out at me once or twice. It definitely felt like I was somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. Plus, it was getting dark, and I was racing back to the bus stop since it was fairly remote. It only came once, every several hours. I ended up beating feet out of there, but it was a very weird, eerie experience. I can only guess I had stumbled upon some kind of homeless population that had holed up in what appeared to be an old campground. There were very poorly maintained pagodas and restrooms nearby, as well as fire pits. I later did some very cursory digging to see what I could find out about the area, but it didn't really produce anything. The right side of the mountain was a cozy little riverside village. You'd never guess that its polar opposite was just on the other side of a mountain. was all very bizarre. It's all kind of a fever dream of a memory. The mission had seemed straightforward enough a covert operation in Eastern Europe to dismantle a dangerous armed smuggling ring. But as my Navy SEAL team and I infiltrated the enemy's hidden compound, we stumbled upon something that would change the course of our lives and the fate of the world. Hidden beneath the compound was an ancient tomb, its walls etched with ominous symbols that seemed to warn of a terrible curse against our better judgment. We opened the tomb, inadvertently releasing a long dormant plague that would soon wreak havoc on the countryside. The plague spread rapidly, infecting soldiers and civilians alike, transforming them into savage, monstrous beings with enhanced strength and speed. The infected, once our friends and allies, now became our enemies as we desperately tried to contain the outbreak. We joined forces with local resistance fighters who were also battling against the mutated creatures in a shadowy organization intent on harnessing the plague's power for their own nefarious purposes. The line between friend and foe was rapidly blurring as the resistance struggled to discern the infected from the uninfected. As we raced against time to find a cure, we faced countless horrors and heart-wrenching decisions. We were forced to confront the terrifying reality that those we loved and trusted could turn against us at any moment transformed by the relentless spread of the plague. Through our combined efforts, we managed to locate a long-forgotten research facility that held the key to a potential cure. 
but the shadowy organization was close on our heels, determined to seize the knowledge for themselves. We fought tooth and nail, our SEAL training put to the ultimate test as we engaged in combat against both the mutated creatures and the relentless agents of the organization. Our sacrifices were immense, but we knew that we could not fail. The fate of the world hung in the balance. In the end, we managed to secure the cure and halt the spread of the plague, but our victory came at a great cost. Many of our comrades, both SEALs and resistance fighters, had fallen in the struggle, and countless lives had been forever altered by the monstrous transformations they had endured. The shadowy organization was defeated, and their twisted ambitions were thwarted, but the scars of our harrowing mission remained, etched into our memories in the devastated landscape of Eastern Europe. We had faced the darkness within ourselves and within humanity and emerged forever changed by the knowledge that the line between friend and foe could be so easily erased. My name is James Walker and I've been a detective for over a decade. I've seen my fair share of crime and violence, but nothing prepared me for what I encountered in the quiet neighborhood of Willow Creek. This is my story. It started with a series of unexplained violent incidents that plagued the once peaceful community. My partner, Laura Hill, and I were assigned to investigate the situation. At first, we thought it might have been a gang dispute or a turf war, but as we delved deeper into the case, we found that the perpetrators were seemingly ordinary citizens with no previous criminal record. We were puzzled, to say the least. What could have driven these law-abiding citizens to commit such heinous acts? As we interviewed witnesses and dug into the lives of the assailants, we began to notice a pattern. Each person had experienced a sudden and inexplicable personality change shortly before committing the violent acts. As a detective, I've always relied on facts and evidence, but I couldn't shake the nagging feeling that something more sinister was at play. Laura and I decided to consult a local expert in the paranormal, Dr. Evelyn Martin, in hopes of finding an explanation for these bizarre occurrences. Dr. Martin listened intently as we recounted the details of our investigation. When we had finished, she shared her theory. She believed that an ancient and powerful entity had somehow found its way to Willow Creek and was possessing the townspeople, forcing them to act on their darkest impulses. I have to admit I was skeptical. But as we continued our investigation, we found more and more evidence that supported Dr. Martin's theory. We discovered a series of strange symbols etched into the walls of the victims' homes and learned that these symbols were part of a long-forgotten ritual used to summon and control the malevolent force. Laura and I realized that we were in a race against time. If we didn't find a way to break the dark spell and banish the entity, the entire neighborhood would descend into chaos. Dr. Martin provided us with a counter-ritual, one that would sever the connection between the entity and its victims. It was risky, and we had no guarantees that it would work, but it was the only option we had. We decided to perform the ritual in the center of Willow Creek, where the power of the entity seemed to be the strongest. 
As we chanted the ancient words, the air around us began to crackle with energy. The ground tremored beneath our feet, and a sense of unease filled the air. But we pressed on, determined to save the people of Willow Creek. As we reached the climax of the ritual, a deafening roar echoed through the night, and the oppressive atmosphere that had haunted the neighborhood lifted. We knew that we had succeeded in breaking the dark spell. In the days that followed, the possessed townspeople returned to their normal selves, with no memory of the violence they had committed. Willow Creek was once again a peaceful and thriving community. This case changed me. It forced me to confront the limits of my understanding and taught me that sometimes the greatest threats come from places we cannot see or comprehend. And while the entity may have been banished from Willow Creek, I know that there are other forces out there lurking in the shadows waiting for their chance to strike. I am an amateur rockhound. I was at a basalt lava flow cut through by the river. It was one of my favorite spots. I was there with my dog, a border collie. I was picking the rock, looking for opal and a gate. It was getting late and the sun was going down. I had lost track of time and didn't want to hike out in the dark, so I quickly gathered my stuff, threw it into my backpack, called my dog, who was laying down chewing a stick, and started out. I was in a clearing, all flat rock, and there was a small log jam and brush to go over to get on the trail. I had a .38 revolver in my hand. I've came over a log jam once only to scare a six-point elk on the other side. I've encountered bear in the area as well. My dog jumped up onto the logs and I was right behind him. He stopped and started growling. He was quiet and shaking. He was staring to my left. I slowly looked up to my left and there it was standing still halfway behind a tree, about seven feet tall, black and stiff, and quiet and about thirty feet from me. I looked back down at my dog, and he was frozen. All I could think of is I got to get out of here now. I gave him a nudge with my knee, and he wouldn't move, so I went around him, got on the trail to my right, and my dog followed. I walked 100 feet as fast as I could without running thinking the whole time. That's not what I think it is. Then a overpowering smell came over me. It smelled like rotten fish garbage and shit in a bag and then putting your face in it. I've never smelled something that nasty before. At that point I'm thinking that is what I'm thinking it is. Uh, I heard that they smell. I've never been so scared in my life. I can't describe the feeling. I just keep walking as fast as I could without running. Then I heard it. It was behind me grunting. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It was like a teenage boy's voice at puberty. It was going bye-bye, not real loud, but I knew it was following me. I couldn't look back. 
The smell was gone, but I could hear it still right behind me. This was a mile down the trail. Then the smell came back real strong, and I looked over my shoulder. It was standing in a clear spot next to the river on a bend. Behind it was the white water and rocks. It was standing there still. Its arms were past its knees, real broad shoulders. At this point, about 5,060 yards back, I couldn't bring myself to look at its face. It followed me for another half mile, judging by the grunts and crashing through the ferns. Then I finally made it to my truck, got in, locked the doors, and got the hell out of there. I forgot I had a pistol in my hand. That's how scared I was. I've been back in the woods one time since, and not alone. I used to explore the woods, too, three times a week. No more. I believe it was 2005. I was driving around at approximately 12.30 a.m. with three of my friends in my car. We stopped so my friend and I could relieve ourselves off of Canandaigua Road down a dirt driveway. I knew the driveway was there, having seen it during the daytime. It was just a place where the town of Farmington, New York, Ontario County, would dump old asphalt. I was on the driver's side of the car, my friend on the passenger side, and both of us looking in opposite directions. I saw something on the top of a small hill maybe 50 feet in front of me. I thought it was a tree, initially, but it turned and started moving from my left to my right. It was very tall, at least 8 feet, maybe 10 feet. Extremely long arms that stretched down to their knees. Was gray or white in color and had somewhat of a small head. The words that came to me were, WTF is that? But before I could utter those words, my friend said, WTF is that? I turned to get back into the car, which I left running, but with headlights off, and I saw another one in the direction he was facing. It was absolutely terrifying, and, and if I had a gun with me, I wouldn't have done anything, but what I did was drive away as fast as possible. The other people in my car caught a glimpse of these creatures, but not as well as my friend Rob and I. Initially, I could only assume they were aliens, they did not look like a monkey or Bigfoot or anything like that. They had no fur or hair and were skinny and just very scary looking. I assumed they were very dangerous and of all the time I've spent outdoors, in the woods and in rural or mountainous areas, I've never seen anything like those things. After that, I hadn't seen Rob in several years as we lost contact with each other. I ran into him at a gas station about eight years later, and the first thing he said to me was, Hey, do you remember when we saw those things out in the middle of nowhere? The memory to him was just the same as mine, and upon seeing me, that was the first thing that popped into his mind, and mine as well. Recently, speaking to a friend of mine who has a lot of interest in supernatural and paranormal things, I told her the story, and she suggested that they were skinwalkers. She found some pictures that were animated of what they might look like. I definitely think that is what we had seen out there that night. I would absolutely love some insight into what these things are and why they may have been there. It does terrify me to think they had some kind of ominous purpose or could have been dangerous, but I'd still love to know.
Thanks for taking the time to get back to me and read this. I will attach the picture my friend Bailey sent me, which is a very good depiction of what I saw. Also, I will send the exact location of where this encounter occurred. Thank you very much. About 20 years ago, 2002, I was walking an old trail through an open field between my grandparents' home and my dad's place on the res. Broad daylight, sun was shining. Beautiful day. A typical walk I took every single day. Wasn't a lot of distance between the two homes. Maybe a few hundred feet. I was about halfway through the field when I saw something I had never seen before. Scared the crap out of me, so I stopped in my tracks and ducked down to ground level. What I saw was an enormous bird. It was standing on the ground. It must have known I was there because it flew up and away. The wingspan was insane, about 10-15 feet wide. Legit looked like one of those ancient dinosaur birds you see in pictures. I lay on the ground watching it as it flew off towards the forest. I can still hear the swooshing sound of the wings as it took flight. That was it. Never seen it again. We have different varieties of birds here in Ontario, Canada, eagles, blue herons, hawks. But no known species of bird is as huge as the one I saw that day. I ran right to my grandparents and told them what I saw. I had a feeling my grandpa knew what I had seen, but he never said anything. Oh, and I was around 20, 23 years old at the time, so not a kid who may have been exaggerating, wondering if anyone has ever seen something similar on their res. Me and a friend just returned from Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. The people there already gave us a strange sense that there were eyes bearing down on us at all times, but this part cemented the weirdness to me. We were hiking to reach Miner's Falls. The day was mostly cloudy and the trail had incredibly low foot traffic considering it was the off-season. We walked fast, so we managed to catch up with a family of four farther along the trail. We walk up on the left to pass them, but the minute they were aware of us, they all froze in place as though they were in a trance. We passed them, and in my peripheral I saw their eyes staring straight forward with dull apathy, their motionless bodies standing single file with each set of hands resting on the shoulders in front of it and not a single sound to be made, nor a facial expression to be found, which is weird when you could make out distinct conversation and emotion beforehand. Anyway, we continued traipsing along the trail paranoid, but eventually we make it to the waterfall. We turn around and see the same group of people heading towards us, but this time they greeted us formally as if none of that had even happened. Big note, we finished the hike but not without feeling like we were gonna get abducted by a cult. Also, me and my friend are very heavy-footed, so I'm confident we didn't accidentally sneak up on them. My boyfriend and I went on a night hike a few months ago on a nature trail about 20 minutes from where we live. We've both been several times during the day, and 
He'd been at night a handful of times. Prior so, it's an area we're familiar with. It's a fairly easy trail. From the parking lot is a 50-feet walk to a small picnic bathroom area where the trail splits into two paths. Path 1 loops around a little before going back to the parking lot. Path 2 loops around across a large pond and is about 2.5 miles total before coming back to the picnic area. We took the second path. We unintentionally ended up off the trail. There was a section of the path that had become slightly flooded muddy that we opted to walk on the edge of the path around it instead of going through. During this, while negotiating around over a couple of rocks, we ended up off the trail. As soon as we lost the trail, the feeling of being watched hit us both. Fortunately, we had enough knowledge of the area to know that if we kept in a relatively straight line, we would hit one of three things. Road, houses, or pond. We could figure out where we were much easier from there. And as it's a small area, it wouldn't take more than a few hours. Yes, the safest option would have probably been to stay put, but the increasing feeling of being not just watched, but followed over road, that. It didn't help that we kept hearing rustling, and he would occasionally see something glowing when he shone his phone's flashlight over the tree's bushes. So we walked straight until we eventually reached the parking lot. Somehow, someway, we ended up getting so turned around that we ended up right back where we started. We backtracked to the picnic area to sign out, flipped to the correct page, grabbed the pencil, turned my phone screen on to check the time, and stopped dead when we realized it was the next day. No, not as in it had passed midnight. It was about 30 minutes after we'd left, plus 24 hours. I had 18 missed calls asking where I was, 12 of which were from concerned coke workers wanting to know if I was okay. Needless to say, we haven't gone on night hikes since. For those of you wondering, we only went on that one because I'd expressed disappointment about not being able to see a celestial event, partial lunar eclipse, plus Saturn and Mars visible. From my house, the plan was to hike out to the middle of the pond, where it was clear so I could see the sky without obstructions. This story occurred in the summer of 2008. I grew up in Oregon and was acquainted with the outdoors at an early age. My favorite hobby came to be hiking, particularly in areas that are either very dangerous or isolated. The health benefits of hiking were secondary to the thrills of walking the edges of exposed cliffs, being in cougar and bear territory, and knowing that I was far from help. Into the Wild was released in the fall of 2007, and I immediately fell in love. Being a high school senior, I felt imprisoned in my parents' house. A teenager with wild eyes, the movie spoke to my sense of adventure. It inspired me to hike the California portion of the Pacific Crest Trail, PCT, upon graduation. For the uninitiated, the Punny CT is a 2700 north-south trail from the border of Mexico to that of Canada. It traverses deserts, forests, and mountains. It ranges from sea level to 13,000 feet elevation. The reason I tell you this is because, needless to say, some parts of the trail are more remote than anything you can imagine. You aren't 
hiking outside of Los Angeles and San Francisco here. You're hiking through hundreds of miles of untamed wilderness in what is essentially the Wild West. I made it from the Mexico border to Northern California without much incident. I happened upon rattlesnakes and black bears, experienced legitimate dehydration, but nothing happened that made me fear for my life. Somewhere in the Lassen National Forest in northeastern California, I walked around a bend in the trail, only to be startled by two people sitting on a rock dressed in nearly all white. Their faces were dirty, their appearance disheveled, and the man had a long, unkempt beard. Both seemed to be in their forties. They looked like the couple who kidnapped Elizabeth Smart. What struck me as odd about the encounter was encountering anybody at all. I frequently went days without seeing a single human being on the PCT. Their white clothes could be explained away by the need to escape the California summer sun. Their scruffy appearance could be explained away by the fact that most through, hikers abandoned personal hygiene on the trail. After I said hello, they said nothing and simply watched me as I passed. Even that I didn't find odd. I chalked it up to them being foreign and not knowing what to say. I camped a few hundred yards off the trail that night, as I always did. Following bare precautions, I hung the leftover food I had cooked that night from a tree approximately five feet off the ground. Packing up camp in the morning, I noticed the food that wasn't there. I immediately thought a bear had entered my campsite, and so I began to look for paw prints. I didn't find paw prints, but I did find boot prints circling the campsite, two pairs of them. One of those prints led right up the rope from which the food was hanging. I thought of the couple I had passed earlier, and everything clicked. I quickly packed up and left. My mind was racing the entire day, but I figured the couple was simply hungry. If they had nefarious intentions, they would have come for more than the food. Several days passed, and my mind was at ease again. I had begun to circle my campsite with sticks to wake me in the event of an intruder, animal, or otherwise. I woke in my tent one night to the sound of those sticks crunching. I grabbed my hunting knife. I tried to relax by telling myself that in the middle of nowhere, the source of that noise is much more likely an animal than a person. Then I heard frantic whispering. It was impossible to tell which direction the voices were coming from. Being in the dark, surrounded by trees, a hundred miles from the nearest city plays tricks on your senses. I debated yelling out, claiming to have a gun, but instead decided to be silent and retain the benefit of surprise. I heard footsteps circling my tent and was ready to slash in whatever opened it. But just like that, it was over. No more footsteps, no more whispering. I lied, frozen awake in my tent, until sunrise and opened my tent to find nobody there. The only evidence something had actually happened were the boot prints, the same as before. Several more days passed and I was now in Shasta National Forest, probably 50 to 75 miles from where I first encountered the couple. The trail became more or less a goat trail. Being on the side of a mountain and above the tree line, I could see the trail winding for miles in front of and behind me. I stopped for water in the rare shade and noticed two hikers miles behind me. All I could see were two white dots moving along the mountainside. I immediately said out loud, If this, this trip is over. 
I pulled out my map and looked for the nearest town, which appeared to be Castella, located off I-5. The only problem was that it was 25 miles away. I hiked well into the night, trying to gain as much ground as possible. I kept losing the trail and decided to set up camp, this time far off the trail and into the forest. I got in my tent and tried to sleep, but every little noise kept me awake. After a few hours in my tent, I heard the telltale signs of another bad night. The footsteps, the whispering, the sticks breaking. Sound travels far in the absence of other sound. I knew they were close, but wasn't sure how close. All I could think was this is messed up. This is so messed up. God damn it. Finally a flashlight hits my tent, lights up the entire thing, and goes dark. I unzipped my tent and climbed out carrying my knife, yelling nonsense into the dark. It was sort of like that cliché scene in movies where people in the wilderness hear sticks breaking around them and the camera pans around the trees because the people have no idea which direction the sound is coming from. Then I heard footsteps running towards the tent and barely made out a figure moving in my peripheral vision. I turned and ran deep into the forest. I tripped several times and ran into several trees. After running for approximately five minutes, I tripped, rolled, and came to rest next to a downed tree. I got under the tree trunk and laid still. I saw the flashlight moving around in the distance. I laid under that tree for hours. I was certain they were gone, but I didn't move. Eventually, birds started chirping, and I knew sunrise would come soon. Once it did, I made my way back to the trail, abandoned my campsite, and walked the rest of the distance to Castella, where the PCT crosses I-5. I hitchhiked my way to the town of Mount Shasta and spoke with the police and forest service. They put me up in a motel for the night, and my parents drove from Oregon to pick me up the next day. I followed up with the police and forest service months later, who told me there had been similar reports of items disappearing from campsites throughout the surrounding national forest. However, there had been no other reports of the terrorizing that I experienced. As far as I know, nothing ever came of the couple. Around 23 on last week Friday, I was out on a very late night stroll near a farm I lived by, trying to find a good spot to set up my telescope for some stargazing. Now I started to hear cows mooing. Not sure how many, but I thought nothing of this since it is a cow farm, and I hear it all the time. However, when I stopped to set up for some stargazing, the moon suddenly got very close as if it was almost right in front of me. The land the cows are on is quite big, so it would take some time to get from one side to the other. When I first heard the mooing, it was pretty far away. But this time it wasn't. It was as if they had somehow teleported. When I called out, because I thought someone had just been playing a prank on me, I heard this growl like never before. I packed up my crap and bolted out of there since I'd heard of skinwalkers in my area.